Well, today we're going to be um, walking through the first chapter of First Peter. Um, one thing you may notice, and I think I do this, I've done this in the past, but just so you guys kind of understand, I really like the New Living Translation um, as far as when you read it in big, ch- big chunks and just kind of how it flows and, it, and ease of understanding that way. I also like the New King James Version um, in just some of the, the specific word choices that it has and, and some of the, and, and I think maybe because some of the verses sound more familiar to me from that, so uh, you'll probably hear me reading a lot of stuff from New Living, but then um, I'll be bringing some, some pieces and some words from the, the New King James, so I just thought, in case you're ever wondering what I'm doing with translations, that's kind of uh, what, how, I'm, how I kind of look at it. Um, so if you're taking notes today, the message title is Cancelled But Still Committed. Uh, as we uh, were waking up this last Friday, to the whiteness of uh, a snow-covered world. I'm sure, I'm sure you were all very excited about. Um, I was thinking about how when I was a kid and I saw even the smallest amount of snow on the ground, the word I longed to hear the most was canceled. <laughs> School is canceled. This was especially true on a Friday. Uh, Fridays tend to be days that maybe a big paper is due or a test is due. And school canceled means that I don't have to cram for a, a test or finish a paper on the school bus. At least not until Monday. Um, today, and, this, and unfortunately, that's very true. You, know, you get the whole weekend, right, to, to catch up on those things you didn't get done. And Monday morning, still cramming. But uh, canceled was a, a word I love to hear. Um, today, uh, the word canceled has taken on a new meaning. And it's not just events and TV shows that get canceled, but it's uh, people People who don't hold true to the ever-changing beliefs of culture are demonized in the media and removed from social networks like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Um, There's an attempt to cancel their influence in the world, their ability to work, or sometimes even their ability to go to a college. And as sad as that seems, the saddest part to me is when the person that that they're trying to cancel um, apologizes for their convictions and attempts to conform Their eyes are on their fame, or they're on their finances, or their friends, and to be accepted in the culture that they live in. Matthew 6.21 says, uh, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying that the things that we value most will shape who you are. Your mind, character, will, and your intentions. Not only uh, will what we treasure shape who you are and what you believe, but for those of us who hold to and treasure the unchanging teachings of the Bible, um, it actually allows us to stand up under those pressures, under those persecutions that come our way, that attempt uh, to sway our belief or to silence the truth of God's word that that has been put in our heart, that has transformed us, and it allows us to be canceled but still committed. Uh, Today we're going to walk through uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, but before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray that God would um, touch our hearts with this word. Lord, we just thank you that you are um, a powerful God. We thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you that, uh, that our hope in you is, uh, is enough. It's more than enough uh, for us to um, depend on, trust on, to motivate us, to empower us, to live the life that, that you called us to. 
Lord, we thank you that uh, we thank you that you that you love us. We thank you that you um, want to encourage us, that you want to shape us, and that you want to make our lives something that is of glory and honor and value to you. We just ask you to speak this word to our hearts um, in whatever way uh, we need to hear it, Lord. Amen. Um, this letter uh, is from Peter, which you might have noticed by the name, uh, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, he says, oh, we're, we're just going to start with verse one, 1. I didn't notice that that was up, but it is up. Uh, the letter, this is a letter from Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living, living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethina. Peter uh, was the chief apostle, and he's a different man than the man he was when he was a 20-something-year-old, uh, first being called to follow Jesus. Or maybe he was even in his teens. We don't really know for sure. But at that time, he found his foot in his mouth a lot more often than he would have liked. In the Gospels, that young Peter is mentioned more than any of the other disciples. In the Gospels, he speaks more than any of the other disciples. He's also rebuked more than any of the other disciples. He confesses Jesus more boldly and accurately than any of the other disciples. And he also denies Jesus more forcefully and publicly than any of the other disciples. And he is the only disciple to rebuke Jesus. All of this may paint a picture in our mind of a different Peter than the one that is speaking here. Peter at this point has been filled with, led by, and taught by the Holy Spirit for around 30 years. He has been seen, uh, sorry, he has seen many saved, healed, and delivered, and he's been able to disciple them the same way that Jesus discipled him. Also, his faith has been tested. Uh, he's been arrested, he's been imprisoned, he's been flogged, and he stood firm through it all. At this point, he is most likely in his mid-50s and is living in an extremely challenging time. Um, he is now a much more mature minister, and he's been the leader of the church in Jerusalem and has proclaimed the gospel throughout the region all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And to top it off, if you look at 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter has five chapters, and if you flip right to the center of chapter 3, he phrases his next point starting with finally, as if he's going to close his message. And then he continues for another two and a half chapters. Now, if that's not an indicator or trademark of a seasoned minister, I don't know what is. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, the letter of 1 Peter was written to believers who were scattered throughout what is now the country of Turkey. Um, he, refers them to, he refers to them as God's chosen people and as foreigners. Some translations uh, use the word sojourner or stranger. Uh, the New King James Version uh, uses the word pilgrim, which I admit when I first hear pilgrim, I think of the, the funny black hats, which for some reason have belt buckles on them. Um, but uh, the real definition refers to somebody who's on a pilgrimage. It's, a pilgrim is a traveler, particularly one that travels a distance from their home, um, and they're, they're on their way to visit a holy place. Uh, we are also pilgrims in that we are not 
Uh, we're not in our own homeland, and we are headed to a holy place that will be our actual home. Um, it is good. Uh, I think this is a good way for us to, to view ourselves as we consider these verses and try and figure out how we, we need to apply them to our lives. So this Thanksgiving, when your kids or grandkids bring home those uh, construction paper hats, uh, you can remember that uh, we also are pilgrims. Uh, moving on to verse 2, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Uh, kind of a cool thing that we see here is that Peter shows the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all engaged in our salvation. Uh, the Father's heart is displayed in choosing us. He desired to, to chase after us. The Spirit's power um, sanctifies us and empowers us to live in obedience. And Jesus' work on the cross cleanses us from all of our sin. God is fully engaged and invested in, res in the restoring work that he's doing in our lives. It's kind of like he loves us or something, doesn't it? It seems like he's, he's kind, of, kind of a big deal that... that uh, that we're saved, that we're found, and he's put him, his whole self into caring for us. It's just incredible. Uh, verse 3, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live in great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change or decay. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Don uh, shared a message called, For Heaven's Sake. Uh, he shared how heaven is to be a major influence and a major inspiration in our everyday living. And we see that expressed again here, um, where it says that we are to live with great expectation. That is how we're supposed to live. That's what keeps us going. Heaven is mentioned in 54 of the 66 books. It is spoken of directly 692 times. No, I did not count them all. But even if it's off by a couple, um, it is a major topic in the Bible. Uh, and uh, why? Because God did not just save us from something. He saved us to something. We have a reason to be relieved and joyful that we are not going to be punished. But to top that off, to go on top of that, we have a reason to be excited that we are going to receive what Peter calls a priceless inheritance. Sounds pretty good, right? No one, uh, no one can describe the fullness of what exactly that inheritance includes, uh, but we know, if all that we know, is that we are saved into the loving arms of the God of the universe. We know that it's going to be pretty amazing. Um, it also says that the inheritance is safe. Um, you know, most of us take our money and we put it in a bank. We know that the bank is federally insured, um, so we can trust that our money is safe. We, we hope. Um, well, <laughs> this priceless inheritance is protected in heaven. We're going to have to just kind of, kind of hope that it's going to be okay. It is beyond the reach of change or decay. It is guaranteed and if we look forward uh, into verse 5, not only is our inheritance guaranteed, but it says, And through your faith, God is protecting you 
by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So not only um, is our inheritance secure, but God has protected us. He says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, Jesus says, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Paul writes in Ephesians, um, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So our inheritance isn't much good if we never get a chance to receive it. But we have a guarantee that we will one day receive what Hebrews 19 calls an eternal inheritance. It's eternal. It won't run out. We can't use it up. And it cannot be canceled. So, moving on to verse 6. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Many, but for just a little while. In the grand scheme of things, it's just a little bit. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, Peter had a reason um, that he was highlighting this great hope, that he was giving this an encouraging word um, because right now these Christians were dealing with a very hard moment in life. Um, many believe that at this time Christians and Jews uh, were disliked um, because they didn't worship the same gods that the Romans did. Um, and it's also believed that this was written at a time when, Jesus, when Christians were experiencing the after effects of the great fire of Rome. Um, in July uh, AD 64, there was a great fire in Rome that spread throughout 10 of the 14 districts. There was rumor spreading that the Emperor Nero uh, was the arsonist who actually started the fire. And while the fire burned, he did nothing to put it out. It was said that Nero had a great lust to build and he didn't really care for the way that Rome was constructed. Now, the Senate had denied his proposal to do uh, some changes. Therefore, it's thought that he started this fire in order to rebuild. And thought our politics were bad. <laughs> so Nero then, in order to combat this growing suspicion and resentment that maybe he was the one who started it, he blamed the fire on the Christians. They were an easy target because they were already hated. And according to a, according to a Roman historian, some Christians were taken and tortured and forced to confess to starting the fires. And then this led to a vicious persecution that spread throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, Christians were being attacked. They were fleeing their homes. Um, they were having their land taken. They were being tortured and killed in some of the most horrific ways, including crucifixion. These Christians uh, needed to keep their eyes on heaven. This is a tough time. Uh, many of them probably had nothing but the clothes on their backs and their lives, and they knew that neither of those were guaranteed till tomorrow. So Peter continues to encourage them, and he reminds them that they have a hope that cannot be taken away from them. Uh, verse 8 says, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. 
The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Uh, This reminds me of when Jesus was talking to Thomas and he said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. As Christians, we can't let the seen world dictate our joy. Um, We're in a loving relationship with God. We trust him. We trust his plan and his promise. And we remember and are motivated by all that 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 entails. We're able to rejoice um, with a glorious, inexpressible joy, even in trials. Um, Verse 10 goes on to say that this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied. Um, They prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. That includes us. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So this reminds me, uh, I think about Luke 15, where Jesus says in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Isn't that cool? It said the angels are eagerly watching. It says the angels are living in heaven. They're with God. But while they're there, um, they're amazed by what God is doing redeeming mankind. They're amazed by it. They, they're, they're eagerly watching it. Um, and they're celebrating. I, I get this picture in my mind. Uh, I had this picture in my mind. It's kind of weird. Um, but I just imagine it being like the student section at a college football game. And they're all sitting on the edge of their seats, you know, with the big foam fingers and their faces painted, just waiting, you know, and seeing that soul move from judgment to redemption, you know, moving from, from punishment to an internal inheritance and, and just jumping up and celebrating um, I just, I just think what an amazing picture. Like, I mean, they're in the presence of God. They're in heaven and they're looking and they're excited about what's happening here. And we get to be a part of that. Um, most of us, uh, if not all of us here, have responded to the Holy Spirit's call and we've received God's gracious salvation. We, we, the angels have celebrated for us. Um, but now what? You know, what's the next thing? And if we look forward in verse 13, it starts to kind of point us in that direction. Um, Verse 13 says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hopes in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Where are our hopes? How much of our hopes? All All of our hopes. Put all your hopes in that salvation. Verse 14 says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways to, uh, of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chooses you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. Uh, we have been saved from something. We have been saved to something, and we've also been saved for something. It says, prepare your mind for action. 
live as obedient children and be holy. These are all action words. Uh, let's remember, again, the circumstances that these believers that are, that are getting this message are living in. They're enduring intense persecution and are battling uh, fear for themselves and their loved ones. Um, to choose to live as Christians, they had to prepare their minds. They had to remember their future hope. They had to, by, they had to prepare their mind by, by taking that future hope, making it their, their motivation, their inspiration, their, their, um, their reason for living because nothing else was secure. They used this hope um, to keep them from being paralyzed. You know, fear can paralyze you, and these people were dealing with fear. But th having this hope frees them from fear, even the fear of death. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? Even, even in that predicament, and we're not, we're not dealing with that. We don't have that. But, but even facing that, their hope for the future outweighed any suffering that they might experience here. So we must have minds prepared to handle some trials, some ridicule, maybe some canceling, so that we can live in obedience, <clears throat> so that we can live a life that is holy, a life that is set apart from the way that the world lives, and live in a way that brings glory to God and displays God to the world that we live in. Now, we know that most of the people that Peter is writing to, they never met Jesus face to face. But Peter's new life in Christ displayed Jesus' love and his character to them. Um, it was, there was something different than the way the world lives. It was a, it was a different pattern. It was a different way of living. Um, and through his obedience to living that kind of life, they experienced salvation. That is the kind of pattern that we should long to follow. So verse 14 in the, in the King James, it says, not conforming yourself to the former lust. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So both these verses use the word conformed. And in both of these verses, it's translated from the same Greek word, which is Suske matizo, which is where we get the word schematic. Uh, a schematic is like a plan or a design. Often we, uh, we think of do not conform versus we think about maybe specific sins that we need to remove from our life or actions that we shouldn't do. Um, we also think of maybe things that we should do and, and things that should be implanted in, into our life. Um, and all of that is good, and it's part of the transformation that God wants to do as his word is implanted into our hearts, and it changes us. But if we simply take the same schematic that the world uses, and we just um, make a few additions and a few subs subtractions, it's still kind of the same plan. It doesn't really look that different. Um, and we may not know all of the details of what this new plan that God has for us, what this new life is supposed to look like, and it's probably something we're gonna, we're gonna be working on and changing and, and figuring out through our entire lives. Um, but it's different than the world's, and, and each one of ours is probably a little bit different than each other. Um, but what we do know is that the time, the talents, the finances, the possessions, and even the family that he's made us stewards of 
um, are to be used for his glory. And why is that? Because he is worthy because of what he did for us. Verse 17, uh, we move on and it says, uh, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty lives that you inherited, inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with, again, mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. He is worthy. He is worthy. And we love him because he first loved us. Because he demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we sit and we ponder the high price that was paid, we have to ask ourselves, are we honoring that sacrifice by living a life um, that shows that we've received this gift? Verse 18 says, he saved us from an empty life and twice in this chapter, he uses the phrase mere gold. One time he's referring to our faith um, and, and the other time he's talking to about the, the sacrifice of Jesus, but he's contrasting the two and, and how, how even gold is, is, is mere gold in comparison. It's, it's nothing. Um, it, gold at that time and still today is, is looked at as one of the most valuable commodities, um, but it's temporal. Uh, it points to the fact that if we put our effort into um, anything that we put our effort into that results in mere earthly rewards, whether it be gold or whether it be likes on your Facebook post, uh, is just part of that empty life that we're saved from. Now, that's not to say that God can't use your gold or can't use your Facebook po post to bring glory to his name. And if, and if it does, if that is how we're using it, uh, verse 17 says that he will reward us for what we do. But that will only happen... If we, um, if we take the life that we had and we rewire our lives according to his new schematics. Um, in my previous life, way back a month ago, um, <laughs> I, I, I was an electromechanical technician. I built machines. Um, and I used both electrical and pneumatic schematics. Um, the, the purpose of both of them was basically to show uh, incoming power and then how it is distributed um, to different devices. Um, now, in between, there's some controls that turn things on and off, but the big picture was dividing up the incoming power uh, to these devices that would perform a function that would cause this machine uh, to complete a task that it was created to do. Okay. Well, the world has bad wiring. And, and the task that they're, that they're completing is, is destruction. Um, if we conform to that same plan, um, just without swearing and getting drunk, uh, we're still are, we, are we really performing a different task? Are we really, is the end result different? Um, it's a big question to ask. It's something we have to kind of ask, ask ourselves. Maybe we start uh, by first asking that question 
to the Holy Spirit, that we ask him, what is the function that you've created me for? Maybe we ask it about our whole family or we ask it about us and our spouse. God, what did you create us for? What is the, what is the outcome? What is, what's the end product supposed to be? If, I, if I'm wired correctly, you know, what fruit should I be seeing? Um, maybe it would be a good, um, good idea to write uh, a mission statement. I was going to have the worship team come up a little bit ago. But if you can come up, I'm, I'm pretty close. Uh, but, uh, but maybe to write a mission statement and to uh, think about, about what is it that God wants to do with your life. Maybe it's something that you can revisit from time to time and double check, like, how are things working? Am I distributing the right amount of power to the right parts of my life? Um, during worship, I was thinking a little bit about, um, about some of those things, you know, like, and, and I'm not trying to convict anybody. Uh, I'm just, you know, I, I, I have the same questions I need to ask myself. And, and, uh, and I think there's some improvements that I could do in, in what I do with my, my time and my money. And, and there's always going to be improvements. We're never going to get it just perfect. Um, but, but I was thinking about, you know, Oftentimes, you know, you get money in and you figure, you know, you got your, your general expenses that are necessaries, but sometimes people work extra hours. They'll sacrifice um, to, you know, get this new thing or to, you know, make this new big purchase or go on this new big trip. And, and I think, man, you know, when have I ever, you know, worked a little extra to save a little money so that I could sponsor another child, so that I could support a, a missionary, so that I could... Uh, just have it in my pocket in case I'm out somewhere and I see that somebody's in need um, to be able to help and to be able to, maybe, maybe that finances will be the opportunity for me to open a door to, to share the gospel. Um, the same can be said about our time. You know, we might work hard on a project so we can get it done so we can go to the beach, you know. Um, but, but are there other things? Are there other uh, ways that we could be wired that we, that we look at what God has given us, what he's made us stewards of, and figure out how, what is it that he wants to output? You know, how can I rewire my life? How can I be, uh, change these, how are these schematics supposed to be different so that when people see my life, it looks different. When they're like, hey, what are you doing here on a Saturday? You don't normally work Saturdays. That was like my, my old supervisor used to actually make jokes. He'd call me, uh, uh, what was it? I think it was just like an overtime, uh, overtime hound or something like that, that I was just always, you know, after, after overtime, which was a complete, I, he was, a, it was sarcastic because it was a complete opposite of the truth. I, 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 I wanted to get my 40 in and be done. Um, I said, I ne- you can never buy more time. So that was my thought on that. But, but if people saw me there on Saturday, like, Doug, what are you doing here on a Saturday? It's like, well, you know, there's this need that this, that I saw in my community, or there's this missionary that's trying to put a roof on a, on a church in Mexico or whatever, you know, I'm trying to raise some extra money for that. Like, how might that stand out as different, you know, as not being the same pattern as the world, but being uh, a pattern of a different world, of a different culture? So something for us to ponder, something for us to prayerfully consider, uh, how do we implement uh, this word to us and, and, and what does God want uh, from us through the, the resources that he's made us a steward of. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, finish off the, uh, 
the remaining few verses. Look at uh, verse 21 says, Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and, and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sin when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass and their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Life is temporary, but God's word is eternal. As much as the world may be fixated on canceling anything and anyone that they don't agree with, God cannot be canceled. Even if the world wants to cancel the good news of Jesus Christ, we who know him are committed we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for we know that it is the power of God to salvation. And even in the face of being canceled by those who maybe we once called friends, we are committed to God because he will never cancel us. We may be canceled, but we are still committed. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless us. Lord, keep us strong. Keep our future in you, our hope in you, uh, as a major influence, major motivator in our life, Lord, and help us to hear your word um, and to respond by, uh, by conforming to the culture of your kingdom and not of this one. Amen. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and bringing glory to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bible Center Church. For more information, you can find us online at www.biblectr.org or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Bible CTR.